Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No! Oh man, he had it coming! I knew this was gonna happen! He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful! I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Turn to your Bibles to James chapter 1. That's right. The cat's out of the bag. We might make it through a couple verses today. And uh, we shall see uh, if we are people of faith. Uh, but uh, we'll find out there. James chapter 1. Let's go ahead and grab the context of what's going on here. James chapter 1. When you get there, say moo. Verse 19, of course, we're going to grab the context. And, uh, but let's take a look at what's going on here. And the third acid test, okay, dealing with God's word. Let's take a look here. And uh, as James gets there, he certainly uh, says this. He goes there, verse 19, says, Now, my dear brothers, take note of this. Now, as we saw before, what is that basically saying? Pay attention. This is serious stuff, okay? Everyone, how many? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, because of that, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevailing, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can what? Hello, it can save you, okay? It's important. Right? Our salvation rests on God's word, what he says and what he's told us. We take it at face value, okay? And we begin seeing that once again, the book of James, the theme is the acid test. Okay, the acid test. Okay, it's like after when people eat chicken, then the acid goes in, they got to go to the hospital, get tests, right, Oz? No, wrong test, but that is, I think, valid. Uh, but <laughs> we're taking a look at the acid test for who's a Christian and who's not is really what's going on here. And the first test we saw is how do you handle your trials, right? If you sit there and say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but when tough times come and you walk away from Jesus and you say, I become an atheist, the Bible says you were never saved in the first place. I didn't say that. God did, 1 John chapter 2. The next one is how do you handle temptation? Uh, here in the first chapter, how do you handle temptation, i.e. sin? Because that's what temptation is, is being tempted to sin. And James says, hey, one thing you should expect from a true born-again Christian is you don't blame other people and you certainly don't blame God for your sin. You need to own up to your sin. And he says, as we're out there in the world, okay, which is the theme of this chapter, those who are scattered, you're finally out there in the world, that as Christians, when we take sin seriously, we're given a true representation of the gospel because in order for somebody to be saved, what is the first thing they got to own up with? 
their sin, right? So, we have to, they, so when we live lives that are holy, it shows them that sin is serious and needs to be dealt with. Number two, it's an active preview, a movie preview, if you will, the first fruits of the world that God has coming for his redeemed, and that is a world without sin. Anybody excited to get there? Yeah. Okay, and he says, so we're being good advertisements for that. Now, the last several times we saw, how do you handle not just trials and temptation? Well, now, here's another acid test. Who's a Christian? Who's not? How do you handle God's word? Okay, what is your attitude towards the Bible, in other words? Okay, and this is, again, why James says this is important stuff. Okay, because this is an acid test for what? Whether or not you can become a deacon. No. This is an acid test whether or not you will be able to help with the children's ministry. No, this is an acid test whether or not you are going to heaven, whether or not you are going to hell. Because that's what it is. Because Christians go here and non-Christians go here. How many guys can figure that out this morning without any help? Praise God. At least you read some of the Bible. Okay, yeah. Okay, so this is the serious stuff. Take notice. This is serious stuff. Because if you fail the test, if you fail the test, you're not a Christian, James says. And it isn't just, oh, they didn't go to heaven. No, you went to hell. But see, the sad reality is they may have gone to a church service. They may have been a deacon. They may have been a pastor. They may have helped with children's ministry. I don't care for 20 years. But if you've never truly acknowledged Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven, it's only his work on the cross and truly surrendered to him, you're in a heap of trouble. And you're going to be in that category of people that says, Lord, Lord, I was doing all this stuff. I never knew you away from me. You're in hell. Okay. And so he says, take notice. And so, so now he comes, okay, now and here's another indicator. How do you handle God's word? And that's what he says there. Everyone, if you're truly born again, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow uh, to become angry is what he's talking about there. The good listeners, the Takus Christian, this is what you would expect of a Christian. That they are an eager beaver. They can't wait to get to Sunday school like this morning. They can't wait to get uh, hang around for the Sunday sermon. They can't wait for Wednesday night Bible study. Woohoo, I love this intelligent design stuff. And they can't wait to do their own morning devotions. They are an eager beaver listener of God's word the second thing they're a good sponge of God's word they are just just soaking it up I don't care if it's convicting I don't care if it rebukes me I want it I'm just soaking it up I'm not telling God what it means he's telling me what it means and I'm just eating it up okay and I'm certainly not being like the rise of the apostasy and saying I only want fluff from God okay a true Christian is a good listener of God's word a good sponge of God's word last time a good follower of God's word you are not wrathful towards the word of God that's what the words there that word orge is the same word we saw that God is going to pour out his wrath orge in the seven-year tribulation and uh, this is common sense give me a break would you really expect a true born-again Christian to not just be upset not just be convicted not just be uh, you know resistant in a backsliding spiritual position for a little bit okay towards God's word but absolutely wrathful oh, I hate this because that's the context there. Is, is that, would you expect that from a Christian? And that's what James says. No, no. So if somebody really is that way and continues to be that way towards God's word, what's James saying? Only God knows the heart, but you got a pretty good indicator that they probably don't know Christ. Because you're, you're slow to the anger. You don't just, this wrath, and bleh, okay? Now he gets to the next one, okay? And now you become a good channel, okay, of God's word. In order for you to be a good channel, you got to get rid of any of the crud that might block up the, the, the pipe, so to speak, okay? Anybody ever do some plumbing at Pastor Billy's house? Hey, praise God for intern Joe. <laughs> right? And there's something stuck in the pipe that doesn't work too well, right? And so if you're going to be a good channel, a good pipe for the water to flow through, then you got to get, to get rid of the blockages. And that's really what he's talking about here. And the blockages that he's talking about, we're going to see, is sin. 
Okay? You gotta, even as a born-again Christian, if your life is full of sin, how does that work with God's Word? It doesn't. That's one of those moments where you might be in the Bible, most likely not, unfortunately. Uh, or if the Word of God is being preached to you, but your ears are deaf to it because you're so clouded with sin, right? And this is what he's talking about here. He says, listen, everyone, if you're truly born again, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why? Verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God, what? Desires. That's what he wants from us, to be those godly, holy commercials for him. Therefore, since that's true, verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now, here's what the Greek literally says. For man's wrath, not just anger, it's that same word again, orge. Man's wrath does not bring about that which is righteous in God's sights. Wherefore, having put away every moral uncleanness, vulgarity, and wickedness, which is abounding, in meekness, receive the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So now James gives us the fourth one. He says, listen, basically, this is what you can expect, by and large, from a true born-again Christian. Here's your test. They not only love God's word, they not only listen to it, they can't wait to hear it, they not only submit to it, they not only devour it, they not only it's a sponge, and they gladly receive it, but they understand the reason why we are to have that attitude towards God's word. And he says it right there. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God's desire. The man's wrath there, again, it's, a, it's, it's the same word that's used there. It's orge. Okay? And that's what we saw last week. We actually saw that man is being orge, wrathful, towards the word of God. And we had some modern, timely examples of just how wrathful, not just, oh, I disagree with that, but wrathful towards the word of God. And we saw that one thing where the, the people were uh, taking human excrement and throwing at Christians who were preaching God's word, and they even took pages of the Bible and wiped their behinds with it, and that's wrathful towards the word of God. Okay, now with all due respect with those people, and that wrathful attitude and behavior towards the word of God, is that what you would expect a Christian to do? No, that's just common sense, really. Do you really have to pray and fast 15 years to figure that one out? Do you really need to go to that prayer and fasting conference with meals included? You got it now. Uh, they actually have those. Can you believe that? You're missing a point, and I'm off track. But anyway, I digress. Let's go back. Uh, it's like, no, you wouldn't expect that. Okay, with the Christians, give me a break. They're not going to do that. But here's the point. Okay, so those people who are doing that, and they're wrathful, that's man's anger, man's wrath, towards the word of God, what does that produce? The righteous life that God's desire? No, and that's James' point. No, it does not do that. That does not, that kind of attitude towards the word of God does not produce righteousness. You are out there trying to defend, you are wrathful towards the righteous word of God that's trying to turn you away from that. And that's his whole point. It's not just that these Christians love God's word, they love listening to God's word, they submit to God's word, but they understand the necessity why you should do so. Because the opposite of that doesn't produce the righteous life that God desires, okay? And James says, don't be deceived about this. True Christians love God's word and because that same word, when they do listen to it, when they do soak it up, when they do submit to it and receive it gladly, it produces the righteous life that God desires. One guy said this. He said, the idea here is not passive acceptance. Oh, okay, yeah, all right. You got me. It is the idea of active acceptance, a teachable spirit, 
One who is shapeable, one who is moldable to receive the implanted word. Why? So that God can literally plant the truth in your heart where it can uh, take root and be productive. Okay? True Christians should want this because it is the word which is able to save our souls. Not just in salvation, but also in sanctification. And if you guys remember, that's the big Christian ease code word for maturity. Okay? The word of God is not only needed, obviously we respond to it. For salvation, right? But as we continue to renew our minds with the word of God, it produces maturity in us, right? So we need it not just, okay, I got saved, I'm cool. You continue uh, to do that and it produces righteousness. But a person who is wrathful towards God's word, hello, that doesn't produce it, okay? God wants us to be those holy, faithful examples for him. Okay, okay, he, because he saw this is an accurate message of salvation and sin has to be dealt with. You don't play with sin, you don't love sin, you don't defend sin, you own up to it, you admit it's wrong, and you turn from it. You certainly don't sit there and mock it, and you certainly don't sit there and throw excrement at it and then do the other thing with it. I can't, it's hard to even say that. And yet that's what our world is doing. Now can I tell you something? That's what our world is doing to the people who are even in the church saying they're Christians. And we've dealt with many examples with that before, and I'll get to maybe even some more, okay? And the, the phrase that he says there, listen, oh, by the way, it's not saying, well, gee, that's too bad, this kind of behavior. <laughs> no, the key word there is that is not what God, what? Desires. He doesn't want that. Okay, give me a break. Why? Because, again, it goes back to the context of, of earlier, Okay? You're basically saying any talk about sin and being confronted with sin, you don't just disagree with, you're wrathful against. So the people around you, even in a church service, if you're doing this, okay, what kind of impression are they getting when it comes to sin? No big deal. Do whatever you want. We have theological terms. It's called cheap grace, easy believism, right? Just do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. No, that's not what God desires. Sin is serious. Sin, if it's not dealt with, will send you straight to hell. God's not willing that anybody should perish. So we need to own up to it. We need to deal with it. And your wrathful behavior is given yet another false representation of Jesus Christ and of the gospel. You have to deal with it. Don't be deceived, okay? And so that's what he's talking about here. Christians, true Christians, listen, not only love God's word, but they're certainly not wrathful towards God's word, but they will do whatever it takes to become a good channel of God's word. So the righteous life that God desires does start to get put into play in your life. So if righteousness is going to start going through the pipeline now, what has to get out of the way? Unrighteousness. Okay? True Christians don't defend sin. True Christians divest themselves of sin. True Christians don't play with unrighteousness. True Christians remove unrighteousness. Okay, and that's what he says there. Therefore, verse 21, okay, this is why you shouldn't be wrathful towards the word of God. Give me a break. It's not going to produce the life that God desires. Okay, therefore, if you're a true Christian, get rid of all. How much? All moral filth and the evil that's what? It's only when you go down that dark alley that you come across, are you kidding me? It's everywhere. That's what he says. It's so prevalent. And then humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. It's literally there in the Greek, having put away. It's not just put away as if maybe sometime in the future, if you get around to it, okay, after you do more important things. It's literally in the Greek in the, in the, in the sense it's already done. It's having put it away. Having put it away. It's a done deal. These guys, therefore, in light of that truth, 
That listen, I'm not only listening to God's word, I'm soaking up God's word, I love God's word, I can't wait to listen to God's word, I'm certainly not wrathful towards it, because if I'm wrathful towards it, then it's, it's not going to produce that righteous life that God desires. Therefore, I have done all that I can to get rid of sin. Why? Because again, sin messes up receiving God's word. He says there, listen in the Greek, every moral uncleanness, all vulgarity, all wickedness. Sin blocks you from being a good channel of God's word, okay? Now, he's got to, I couldn't wait to get to this. He's got to, just to really drill this home, he's got a couple really neat analogies, and they have to deal with, this is an exciting topic, earwax. Turn to somebody and say, man, look at all your earwax. You don't even want to do it, do you? Except for these two young gentlemen on the front. But that's a guy topic. Earwax, hey, look at it. Okay, listen to earwax. Okay, the word there, filth, or filthiness, is the Greek word ruparia. Let's say that. Isn't that that kid's show back in the 70s? That ruparia. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, that was Romper's room. But anyway, that's a... Uh, ruparia, it means filth, filthy clothes, to make filthy, to befoul. All right? So we kind of get that. But listen, literally, it comes from the root Greek word, rupus, which refers to wax in the ear. So the root of that filthiness is literally wax in the ear. Okay, so now you get a neat visual going on. He's going to have two of these. This is the first one. Okay, uh, just as buildup of wax can make you deaf. Huh? What? How many times did you say that? Did you hear me? You need to clean out your ears, right? So just as a buildup of wax can make you deaf and miss out on a conversation, listen, so the buildup of filth or sin in the Christian's life can make you deaf towards the word of God and miss out on righteousness. Isn't that awesome? Get rid of the uh, earwax. Get rid, actively get rid. This is a part of your behavior. I'm getting rid of any kind of earwax uh, that I've got that could hinder my hearing the word of God. That's what he's saying there. We get rid of it. We unload it. We clean it out. We get that spiritual Q-tip. We go to town, Right? Why? Because as a born-again Christian, you don't want nothing to hinder this book. You're, remember, you're the eager beaver listener. I can't wait to get enough of this. This is awesome. I don't care if it corrects me. I don't care if it rebukes me, uh, let alone encourages and trains me in righteousness. I don't care. I want this book. I got to have it. What? What? Something's in the way. Get rid of it. You, you like that? I like that. Now, next week, we can coordinate this and get an actual drill up here. But uh, anyway... But, well, that, but that's what he's talking about. This is actively, again, the, the, what's the Greek word there? This is the importance of the Greek verb. Having put away, this is your attitude. This is what you're constantly doing every day. Oh God, get rid of this sinful earwax. So I can hear clearly what you're saying to me so that righteousness can come through. That's what you would expect of a Christian who loves Jesus. Why? Because what do he say? If you love me, you, you throw excrement at my commands. You keep my commands. You love my word. You want to do that. Why? Because we have to? Because we're trying to keep ourselves? No, because we love him. After all he's done for us. Salvation is completely done. It's complete. We can't add to it. It's a, it's a gift from him. And as somebody has rescued you from some horrible fate called eternal damnation in hell, then what's the logical response? Can I do something? What? Can anything? Right? That's our motive. His love compels us. Okay? So you want to do that. Okay? We get rid of evil. Evil is everywhere. That's what he says there. It's prevalent. And so because it's prevalent and it's everywhere, hey, don't just leave that spiritual Q-tip in your garage that makes what kind of noise? 
There you go. Hopefully the microphone picked that up. Uh, no. The, the context here is, I think, keep that baby with you. Because we live in a world where this earwax buildup potential is everywhere. So don't just wait till you get home. Keep that baby with you. I've said this so many times before. I remember one guy back on the East Coast came up to me and said, Hey, Pastor Billy, you know what? I'm just really growing in my walk with Jesus. And, and uh, just, you know, it's just really cool. I'm just, things are going great. And, and uh, every night before I go to bed, um, I just, I confess uh, all my sins that day uh, to Jesus. And I'm going, okay. I beat a sharp stick in the eye. I hate those. Okay, uh, why'd you wait till the end of the day? First of all, do you think you're going to remember every single one? So odds are you're probably going to forget some. And I, I, don't want, I didn't want to rain on the guy's parade, so to speak, completely. But <laughs> I think, you, no, you don't wait to stack them up. Okay, uh, how about as soon as you did it, confess it? Wouldn't that be easier? Wouldn't that keep you continually clean in your heart with God? So if you sin, you confess, you sin, you confess, you sin, you confess, you sin, you confess. Why'd you wait till that night? Do you see what I'm saying? And this way, it's so prevalent. Don't leave that spiritual Q-tip at the garage. Take that baby with you. Get a holster, man. Put two of them right on either side. So you got stereo, like an old West Christian or something. You both do it. Ready to go. Right, just like that, stereo. You got them on either side of you. So as it's so prevalent in our world, there's so much potential to sin. What do you do? Whip them babies out. As soon as it happens, get it all cleaned out. It is so prevalent among you. Now, here's where you get your double visual. Prevalent is the Greek word parousia. Okay? And it means a super abundance. A giant supply. So, and believe it or not, this word was also used by the Greeks to speak of an ex excess wax built up in your ears. The first one just speaks of, rupus, speaks of earwax in general in the ears. This speaks of an excess uh, buildup of wax in your ears. You, got, you ever run across somebody like that? Yeah, <laughs> you guys are looking at each other. <laughs> Right? And so now he gives you a double visual analogy of this earwax sin built up. Okay, why? Because sin clogs you up spiritually and it will hinder your hearing of the God's word. And if you're a Christian who loves Jesus and you want to be used of him in a great way, then your life needs to be a righteous life. But if you don't hear the word of God, if things are blocking you from hearing the word of God, then it's not going to produce the righteous life that he desires. So you take sin seriousness, you get rid of it, you unload it, you clean it out, all of it, not just some of it, all the filthiness, so you can be a good channel of God's word. Now here's what's wild. We're running with this earwax analogy. Now you're going with that, man, these people not only have earwax in general, they got an abundant supply of it. And you better get rid of it. But if you look at the scripture, that's what you expect of a, a true Christian. They, they take the earwax seriously. The non-Christian in the scripture, you know what they do when God's words preach? They plug up their ears. Let me give you just one example. Acts chapter 7. This is wild. What an amazing uh, couple verses here just peeling into the Greek. Acts chapter 7. That's the great uh, lumberjack book. You know, it's always encouraged those people up north in the forest. No, wrong kind of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 7. <laughs> Thank you, you got it. So uh, Acts chapter 7 and uh, verse 51 through 57. Let's take a look at the, the final account here of uh, the stoning of uh, Stephen. Okay, verse 51 through 57. 
Let's take a look at what he says there. He says this, hey, how would you like to preach this to a group of folks? You stiff-necked people. How many guys would say they probably didn't shake his hand? No, in fact, we're going to see they killed him for it. But listen to the response there when he preached the truth to them, God's word. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and what? Ears. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You throw stuff at the word of God like we see today. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed him. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they what? They covered their ears. And yet, they didn't just yell. And they just kill them. He's telling them the word of God and what happened. They literally covered their ears. And yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. They killed him for it. Okay, so what's going on here? Now, believe it or not, I've actually seen this literally uh, it, it, since I've been a Christian. Uh, I've seen it, if you will, from the pulpit many a times. Okay, people not, may not leave the sanctuary going, Ooh, covering their ears, but they will leave the sanctuary. I've seen people leave the sanctuary. In every church I've pastored, I've seen people get mad. I'm not preaching heresy, nothing. And let you walk up and get out. Some of them even turn and look at you defiantly. Like, yeah, I'm leaving. So it, maybe they didn't put their hands up literally. I've seen them do it every time. It, it still goes on today. But this is one of the most profound ones. And this was at the workplace that I worked at while I was going to Bible college at night. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by non-Christians, what have you. And uh, my employer, uh, one of them. And I kid you not, it was just one of those divine appointments. Uh, the other employees weren't around. He called me into my office for something, but God opened the door. You know, as you're praying that God would open the doors for the people you work with, your neighbors, your family, friends, guess what he does? He opens the door. That's right, Reed, he opens the door. And this is what happened with my employer. I was excited. Woo! And we're right there, man. I mean, we're right there. It's like, I mean, you talk about, this, I mean, the gospel. It's like, you know, and that we uh, have all fallen short and we've all sinned. And, uh, you know, and that it's, we deserve to die and go not to heaven, but to hell. And that's only through the cross. I mean, we're that far in the discussion. And I'm literally just getting ready to say, would you like to, and I'm getting ready to pray. And ask Jesus, I kid you not, Bobby, it's the freakiest thing. And this is a grown man. He literally, uh, we started getting agitated when I was getting that close. Like this, and he literally went, ah! I didn't know where to run or laugh or what. It freaked me out. It's like, I go, whoa, this is like something you do with like little kids in the street. You know, your friend no more. You know, <laughs> but this is a grown guy. And I'm going, what? What was he doing? I mean, there, you talk about spiritual warfare going on. He literally stopped up his ears. And he started making that noise so he couldn't hear. Dude, it was wild. Okay. So put all this together. James says a true born again Christian, you love God's word, you submit to God's word, you listen to God's word, and you'll go to the point where I'm going to get rid of any sin, any earwax that's so prevalent. I'm going to carry those double spiritual holsters, spiritual Q-tip. As soon as it comes on, I'm getting rid of it, whatever. But non-Christians, what do they do when God's word's presented? Stop their ears. Do you see the play that's going on here in the Greek? Absolutely amazing. But let me give you some examples that our world is also doing the same thing. Okay, this is why we're seeing what we're seeing, okay, which is going to lead to the next step, and that's called persecution, big time, even here in America. 
Uh, in recent decades, uh, the IOC Bible Prayer and Ten Commandments were taken out of schools, right? We can't hear that. Okay, and as I shared before, one of the rulings on the Ten Commandments being taken out of the schools, one of the uh, 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 judges actually, uh, to use the vernacular, basically said that if kids were to read them, okay, they might think on them. And if they were to think on them, they might actually obey them. And that could be uh, detrimental to them. So to put it in vernacular, if we had the Ten Commandments in the schools today, it would cause brain damage to the kids. That was part of the rule. I'm not making this up. That was part of the Excuse me? That's what our world's doing to the Word of God today. But that was the tip of the iceberg. Tourists visiting Washington, D.C. were ordered by police to stop praying in the U.S. Capitol. Arizona children were told they couldn't pray in front of the Supreme Court. A minister was arrested for... These are current examples. Was arrested for praying on the steps of the Supreme Court. A chaplain was fired for speaking the name of Jesus. Police chaplains are told you, you to stop praying in the name of Jesus. A North Carolina pastor was fired as the honorary chaplain of the state house of representatives after he closed the prayer in the name of Jesus. And they fired him. North Carolina court ruled that Jesus' prayers can be banned. Don't want to hear it. A North Carolina school ordered a child to remove God from their poem. Senior citizens were not allowed to pray for their meals at a particular nursing home. Listen to this. The police were called to a middle school in Lexington, Kentucky to stop 8th graders from praying during their lunch break for a student whose mother had been tragically killed. They called the cops and knock it off. It's the same thing. Now, this example just blows me away. This is a pastor in Kansas. Home state. Right? He was convicted and fined for passing out Bibles by so-called fellow Christians. The arresting officer said he was a Christian. The court judge said he was a Christian. The prosecutor said he was a Christian. The city attorney said he was a Christian. And four of the six jurors said they were Christian, and yet they convicted him for handing out free Bibles. Are Christians going to do that? So what is going on there? Do you see why this book, the book of James, the acid test, is so absolutely applicable for today? Because I think the church is flooded with people who profess Christ, but they are failing miserable this test that you could expect from true born again Christians. You're not going to do that. But that's not all. Christians are not only being told to shut up when it comes to God's word. Listen, uh, they don't want to hear it. And just like Stephen, Christians, even here in America, are now being killed for it just like Stephen. Let me give you a couple examples. Reverend Fred Winters was murdered while he was preaching in his pulpit in Marysville, Illinois. Okay. Uh, back on the East Coast, we had four undercover people uh, when I was pastoring back there. And because uh, everyone's wanted to get some interesting folks. And uh, they were there for protection. Nobody knew who they were. But uh, we had some encounters. Okay? This stuff happens, folks. All it's going to take is somebody to come down here and pew, And don't think it's not going to happen today. Okay? People are getting that ah, wrathful towards God's word. And they'll take it out on me. They'll take it out on you. They'll take it out on the church. It's happening. Just like with Stephen. Ah, I don't want to hear that. But we can't stop. It's better to obey God than men, right? So what do they do? You either submit to it and receive the greatest news of all, <laughs> that God's willing to forgive you of all your sins, take you to heaven, you become his child, it's awesome. Or, ah, and kill him. Okay, let me give you a couple more. Pro-life activist Jim Pullion was murdered in front of his granddaughter's high school for showing the truth about abortion. And recently, two street preachers were killed in the U.S. right here. I think it was in Florida. And a religious liberty group warned that anti-Christian hostility is getting increasingly deadly in the United States. After two street preachers were shot and killed by a teenager opposing their message. 
quote, the increasing demonization of Christians in our culture makes some feel it's open season on Christians. Gary Cass of the Christian Anti-Defamation Commission complained about a lack of interest in national media. He said, as of today, there are no national news organizations reporting this vicious murder of two innocent young Christian men. Why? He said, if two Muslims or two feminists or two homosexuals were murdered, wouldn't it be all over the media? He said, these were two fine young men shot by another man just for their Christian faith, and yet the media doesn't seem to care. Now, that's the world, which obviously I'm not condoning, but that's the reality of our world. But on the one hand, as a born-again Christian, I kind of expect that. I used to be one of those people 21 years ago this day. I used to hate Christians. I thought Christians were a bunch of dumb, duped idiots. That had to have this book tell them what to do. I was much more intellectually uh, smarter than that. Okay? And that I was convinced that this book was here to brainwash you. I used to be one of those. So I know that God can change a heart. Okay? I get that. Okay? But that's when I was a non-Christian. What blows me away is when you see this same kind of behavior coming into the church. And what you're seeing in the church today is the church, not only as we saw before, does not preach on sin, but it's only fluff. Learn to be a better you, okay? But the church is actually remolding the church to include the earwax. Did you know that? It's one thing for the world to go, ah, but the church is doing it too. And they're taking the Christians who want God's word and they are now the ones who are hurting the church. Because you're rejecting our new mold. Listen to this, okay? And we've shared some of these in our final countdown study. Here's some services you can go to. This is supposed to be, listen, a church service. But you can go, as we look to this, how is this getting rid of the sin that is so prevailing among you? So you can become a good channel of God's word. There's the new pole dancing service. Hey, listen, that's right. Here's a new way to express your faith. On the second Sunday of every month, Crystal Deans leads a pole dancing course for churchgoers in Texas. She says the, uh, she knew that exotic dancing wasn't for her, but she realized she could use her experience with exotic performing to help other women connect to the teachings of Jesus. What? Let's do it in stereo. Clean that out. Are you kidding me? A pole dancing service? You gotta be, you got earwax, man. Get it out. Get rid of that. It gets worse. How about the erotic church service? Hey, you announce that, you're gonna get big numbers, and that's what happened. Hundreds lined up for a new erotic church service where a female dancer danced in skin colored stocking in the middle of the church facility in front of the altar. Nearly 1,000 interested people waited outside the door despite a thunderstorm. And above the entrance of the caption was, A warm welcome to the vineyard of love. Then a man came to the microphone and announced, This is an erotic church service. You can move a bit closer together, all of you. Uh, this was followed by saxophone music and dance. And then it was announced, quote, Eroticism and lust are not taboo pushed aside by God. In fact, quote, lust must be lived out in a church service. Then the faithful were asked to take a part in an anointing ritual in which they should massage the forehead and the hands of the person sitting next to them. Don't do it. Okay, Bobby, yeah. Okay. Uh, he said, and then the, here's the response of the people going there. The one guy said this, this is how church services should be. What? Then they all said, and our father together, and were encouraged with these words as they left apparently, praise God with your body, your lust, 
and your tenderness. And judging by the enthusiastic applause, the audience fully intends to do just that. And that's, that's getting rid of anything that would block. It's being reshaped. Give you a couple more. The transgender service. Uh, the Episcopal Church House of Bishops approved a proposal that would give transgender men and women the right to become ministers in the church. This move comes nine years after the Episcopal Church approved its openly gay bishop. And uh, the church now allows gay men and lesbians to join the ordained ministry. And the new resolutions on gender would now allow transgender gender, uh, individuals as well. It's all part of their overall non-discrimination policy to church members. What? What did we just read? Open the doors to any... Have a non-discrimination policy when it comes to sin so you can be a good channel of God's word. No, get rid of it. Adultery service. You can have people coming to your... We already got enough to deal with in the church today. One of the biggest things that are going on is, quote, Christians living together. It's called cohabitation, right? Don't do that. The Bible doesn't condone that. Jesus, John chapter 4, uh, the woman at the well, he said, go get your husband. And uh, uh, he, she said, sir, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you're absolutely right. And the man you're living with is not your husband. Was he condoning her behavior or calling her out on it? He called her out on it because he loved her. Because sin destroys, sin harms, sin hurts. So he called her out on this, okay? But now we're going to get to the point where you can have polygamy going on in the church. Because of this homosexual issue, the slide that's going on there. Uh, it's being called non-monogamy, okay? And uh, the concept of uh, being uh, faithless between just one man and one woman is now being outdated. Uh, the new concept will accept multiple partners without the stigma of adultery. In fact, a court case has already been brought forth claiming that since same-sex marriage restrictions have been lifted, so should restrictions on multiple partner marriages. With all due respect, Mormons are going to be excited. Can you believe that? How is that getting rid of the sin that is so prevalent? So you can become a good channel of God's word. Okay? A couple more and we've got we to gotta go. Uh, the atheist service. This blows me away. Believe it or not, there's now a new ministry out there uh, being offered to the church. Uh, it's a guy named Jerry DeWitt. He was a Pentecostal preacher for 25 years, now turned atheist. What? Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. I have to kick this. Because people come to the wrong conclusion all the time. And I want you to see this with your own eyes. It's not me being judgmental. Okay. Uh, let's take a look at this. Uh, verse 18. 1 John chapter 2. When you get there, say moo. Yeah, moo. Alright, verse 18. Grab the context. Antichrist. Opposers of Christ. Is the context. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. Well, how do you know? Well, this is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they what? They didn't really belong to us. Oh, they went to church services. They might have even been behind the pulpit. They might have been a Pentecostal preacher, quote unquote, for 25 years. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have what? Remained with us. But their going showed that how many? None of them belong to us. Okay, so if this guy sit here and literally says, I was a Pentecostal preacher for 25 years, but now I'm a determined atheist, what does the Word of God say? He never was. He didn't lose his salvation. He never had salvation. I didn't say that. God did. Now let's continue on. Now he's encouraging other atheist pastors to stop pretending and come out like he did. Okay? Uh, he's the director of a new ministry to the church called Recovering from Religion. And his slogan is, thousands of organizations will help you get into religion, but we're the only one helping you out. 
And listen to what he said. It would, wouldn't be growing if there wasn't a need for it. Right? He's, what? So what is that telling you? There's a whole bunch of people, even behind the pulpit, that don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. Right? That's how bad it is, guys. And let me give you one more, because it's going to the ultimate uh, end, and that's they're going to marry the occult. And that's already happening. Let me give you an example. The Church of England has recently hosted a New Age festival where it opened its doors. Can you imagine if we did something like that here? Where they open its doors to tarot card readers, crystal healers, meditation experts, and dream interpreters. The church is in trouble, and attendance has fallen for the sixth year in a row. So what do they do? Preach the word of God? Enjoy his blessings? No. They decide to hold the festival, the New Age festival, in a bid to embrace alternative forms of Christianity. But this shouldn't be surprising because another church leader has stated that Harry Potter is a Christ-like figure because he promotes biblical values. And a Protestant church in California teamed up with a high priestess of the pagan fertility goddess, Isis, to help them with their guided meditations in their fifth annual Faith and Feminism Conference. Where she stated, I have taken people, imagine going to a church service like this, I have taken people to their past lives in Egypt, as that culture had all the secrets. They're the ones that knew, not this book. <laughs> Gosh, I, wait, I mean, don't have time, but I can tell you stories. When I was a new ager, before I got saved, I went to one of these things, okay? And back then, um, I think it wasn't obviously the norm, but looking back now as a Christian, it blew me away that, excuse me, because I went into this church service, quote unquote, it was a church service. And the first thing, the church service, we all lined the pews, they had the whole thing, the podium, the whole thing, stained glass windows, the whole, it was a church facility, and the guy gets up there and he proceeds. He's, they're having a New Age conference there. I attended it in Sacramento. And uh, the first, one of the first, uh, quote, lessons we had is uh, we were all going to connect with the universe, become one with the universe. And so they did this in a, uh, a, a technique that's used to uh, do that and work you into an altered state of consciousness. And we were all saying the same sound uh, repeatedly uh, for a couple minutes. And after about 30 seconds, as a new age, I'm telling you, this is all spiritual, folks. This is demonic. Been there, done that. Wish I wouldn't have bought the t-shirt. But I sit there, and after about 30 seconds, everybody's making the same noise. This whole church facility, these people, it was like, boom, something clicked, and you just, something happened. And we were just all made into that. So these are actual techniques, actual occult techniques that spiritually do people. Then after that experiment, depending on what workshop you signed up for, then all the Sunday school rooms, each one was a different new age workshop. And then I went to this one that you could help you know, read people's minds and things of that nature. And I can tell you stories of some freaky stuff that happened during that. And uh, ESP and all this stuff like that, psychokinesis and all that stuff. But folks, this was in a church service. Now I, for the years, I've looked back at that and there's 21 years now. And I've looked back and I've gone, Wow, what an aberration. Can you imagine that one church facility in Sacramento was actually promoting that? Can I tell you something? Churches today, that's now starting to become the norm. This is how bad it's getting. Right? Maybe you're not at that point where you're doing a full-blown New Age conference, but listen, that one, they're, they're inviting the fertility goddess of Isis to come in to help this church to uh, work with guided meditations and promote feminism. 
It's nuts. This is happening in a massive scale, okay? Now, put all this together, what we just read, with what the scripture says. If you're going to be a true born-again Christian, knowing that sin blocks you from hearing the word of God, which means it's not going to produce the righteous life that God desires, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent among you. So is that happening in the church today? They're not getting rid of that stuff. So can I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Drop the bomb. Could this be another indicator that our worst nightmare is taking place? That the reason why the American church is so messed up today is because the bulk of the American church is filled with people who don't know Jesus as their Savior. And it's not anymore that they're just filling the pews. They're behind the pulpits. They're on the church boards. They're teaching the Sunday school classes. I think so. This book, I'm telling you, is so applicable uh, to today. It's amazing. One guy, we'll close with this. He says this. What James is saying is the whole filthy mass of wicked moral vice must be confessed, must be repented, and dealt with. Those of us who are genuine believers understand this, and we desire this. We desire to repent. We desire to be cleansed. We desire to have the wax of sin removed from our ears so that we can hear the word of truth. Because our delight is in the law of God. We want to chew on it day and night. We love the law of God. So if one is a true Christian, there will be a willingness to receive the word with submission. There will be a willingness to listen, a reticence to speak, and no anger toward what God says. There will also be a willingness to receive the word with purity. There will be a strong, compelling desire to divest oneself of filthiness and an overflowing of wickedness that would hinder the production of righteousness that that word can accomplish in us. There will be willingness to receive the word with humility and have a teachable spirit. A true Christian has a heart that longs to be taught the word of God and is a willing uh, student. And that's why James says, therefore, don't merely listen to the word. Verse 22, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Why? Because what's on the line here? You fail the test. What does that mean? You're not a Christian, and you're going to hell. Oh, you're going to church services. Oh, you might be behind the pulpit. But you keep failing these tests. You're in a heap of trouble. Don't just listen to it. You need to do what it says. If you love him, you keep his commands. That's what you would expect from a true born-again Christian. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like Him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. 
Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, 
Uh, it, it's a proven fact. They did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.